Welcome to Clockwise, the podcast that can only make right turns. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and to my left is Serenity Caldwell. Hi, Serenity. Hi. Welcome to Clockwise. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for letting me be here. I'm so glad that, that you felt that the good one, the first one was good enough, that it had enough promise that you would come for a second episode. Maybe she's here to fix us. I, we could use it. I'm just going to let you two come to those conclusions on your own. <laughs> the voice you heard sitting across from me is my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. It's uh, good to be back. We, we produced one that, uh, if that was episode zero, this is episode 0. 0.1, I guess. And uh, we'll <laughs> see is, how it goes. Is, this is the beta. That was the alpha. We're figuring this it out. Beta. We're figuring out the rules. You can't come out, you know, the first time. And, and we'll see how this one goes. Maybe it'll be different. We're iterating for success. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. We're just like Apple. That was, that was the name of our, our backup name for this podcast, Iterating for Success. Yeah, exactly. It was either that or the talk show. <laughs> and that, that, one, <laughs> that was strangely taken. That one's taken. Sitting to my left is uh, a close personal friend of mine. And you know him, you love him. He's, uh, he's, and he's got a beautiful singing voice. It's Lex Friedman. Hi, Lex. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me here. Are you, uh, are you a little uh, afraid of being on this strange new format? Or are you uh, ready to go? I have to tell you, I have never done a podcast before, so I'm excited to see what <laughs> yeah, this is all about. Sure, Dan, do you want to explain how this works? I would love to explain how this works. i got to break up this little mutual admiration society over there. So uh, every one of us has brought a technology topic that we think is worth discussing today. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know about Lex's topic. We'll see. Um, <laughs> and the idea here is that we don't want to waste your time, uh, and we don't want to waste the time of our fine panelists. So we're going to spend five minutes on each topic. Indeed, and because I am the co-host, and I'm also a generous, benevolent co-host. As we all know, uh, yes. I will, I will go first, and then the action will move clockwise. See what I did there? Oh, <laughs> that, that's the name of the show. That's awesome. What a <laughs> I coincidence. I thought I would work that in. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so let's start with the first topic today. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Apple being sued by the Department of Justice for price-fixing their eBooks. Now, this has been a really contentious issue. Uh, and and my question, or sort of my my argument here, is that I think this is a foolhardy decision by the Department of Justice. Yes, there is there is uh, evidence of collusion, and I think that's clearly something that should be stopped. Um, but at the same time, I think this plays very much into the hands of Amazon, who prior to Apple's involvement had an effective monopoly or at least a, a huge dominance of the ebook market and that the decisions from the Department of Justice and the settlements they've made with the publishers means that essentially we're going to end up back in a situation where we still have a really dominant player in the market. Uh, and I would like to hear first from Serenity Caldwell. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, yeah, the thing about Amazon really bugs me in this entire trial because you see the Department of Justice put out uh, about a hundred and twenty slides for their opening argument, which you can see, I think, on um, is it all things D? Some one of the tech po uh, tech blogs collected uh, the slides for it, and on those slides, Amazon is repeatedly represented as the good guy, the person that got you know screwed over, the person who is being wronged by this horrible collusion effort from poor the old Amazon. And, oh, poor yeah. Amazon! There, I feel really sad for Jeff Bezos and his yacht. In his spaceship. <laughs> right? <laughs> space yacht. Yeah. No, it's it's his space yacht. It's ridiculous. I find it really, really strange. Um, the thing that bugs me really about this trial is 
Apple's negotiations with the publishers are basically identical to their negotiations with the TV companies and the music producers and the movie producers. I mean, Apple came into a thing and just said, we want to do it this way. And we're not planning on launching our service unless we have X amount of publishers on board. It's up to you to decide whether you want to do it this way. But they didn't, I mean, they didn't really say, you know, we have the power to destroy your publishing company. I I just, you know, I see where the publishers are at fault, clearly. I mean, the, the emails between publishers are very damning in terms of how they communicated with each other, how they were saying, well, we should all lump in together. Um, but Apple was pretty much just being Apple. They were they were doing everything that they normally do. Uh, who is next? Is that Jason? Yes. Over I'm right here to your left. Tick, tick. To my invisible tick, left. Tick, tick. Wow. I mean, some of this is really just uh, basic rules of don't put it in email, don't take notes that uh, had a yeah, so it's meeting o- with it's, the other it's publishers. It's okay to collude. We just don't, we don't want to keep records of it. Well, and, and Apple, Ren's absolutely right. This is Apple being Apple. Although, again, Steve Jobs is fine. He, You get the sense that Steve Jobs was sending things and saying, putting things down in the record that probably shouldn't have been put in some place that they could be subpoenaed. But it is Apple's approach to, to this in general. And so it's not that, you know, you're right. I think the issue is the collusion among the book publishers and this that this is all seen as price fixing. But the, the irony here is that they were sort of, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to counteract Amazon's dominance uh, because Amazon was uh, setting prices and cutting way below what the publishers wanted to sell on, and they felt like nobody could compete with them. So this is just it, – it's unfortunate that, that um, you know, I think – Businesses colluding to raise prices on consumers is bad, but you also want to have a fair market. And uh, fundamentally, what what this legal action means is that Amazon may be just sort of laughing all the way to the bank, and it's unfortunate. I mean, Amazon's uh, stranglehold over the ebook market is less than it used to be, mostly because of this. And uh, so it's too bad. It's the government's uh, letter of the law working against, I think, the spirit of, of open markets, I would say. Lex, what say you? I agree with what you're saying, and I really think that right now the government's trying to decide which monopoly is better and not really deciding well. And what's fascinating to me about this case is that it, it certainly doesn't seem like the customers are being given are, – are the ones who are going to benefit if this – no matter how it ends. Um, I've been amazed by – you know, CNN had a report yesterday on the Amazon guy saying under oath, well, uh, I'm not comfortable discussing the meeting that I had with Jeff Bezos and other Amazon people uh, because so much stuff is redacted. Uh, they can the, the Amazon can cite trade secrets and business data and privileged conversations. So Amazon is volunteering very little information, even under oath. The whole thing is very weird and creepy. And uh, I don't know. I uh, I don't feel like no matter how this case ends, it's going to be great. And uh, I uh, I'm not a big fan. And that's five minutes, Dan. So you hit it right, right under, under the, the wire. Yeah, I figured we could. That's really all that needs to be said about this topic. Are you satisfied? We can cover it in five minutes. I, I think. I think we had some, a lot of good points here. I, I think it's just one of those things that seems weird for the government to get involved in. Yeah, antitrust is their business, but where were they when Amazon was was dominating the market? Is yeah. Dan allowed to be talking about this right now? Sure, why not? I've got a little follow up, <laughs> but I will, I will. I will. Having said that, I will pass the baton on to uh, our topic from Serenity Caldwell. 
Okay. Well, my topic is a little more lighthearted than uh, trials and ebook fixing and price fixing and all that fun stuff. Uh, the topic that I wanted to talk about today is actually uh, the explosion of fitness trackers and the idea of wearable fitness devices and devices encouraging you to go and walk more and do more energizing things with your body rather than are, just are, on are the fit- couch. Are fitness trackers actually exploding? Because that would be that Dangerous. would be a concern. We should yeah, investigate. that would involve a trial. So I'm I'm glad that we're not going down that route. They are they are not literally exploding, thankfully. Um, but I um I was always kind of skeptical about those, and then I, I got a Fitbit last week, and it's kind of become my personal obsession, which is a little crazy. It's like. Uh, one of my friends described it as, "Oh, it's like a Tamagotchi from the '90s, except you are the you are the pet. You know, it, it won't it won't actually do anything unless you do the work." In Russia, Tamagotchi plays you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I find fitness tech really really fascinating, um, and I find the way where that it, where it's going really interesting. And so I just wanted to hear from the panelists. You know, what's how do you feel about fitness tech? I mean, there are some people on our panel. Alex, uh, who dabble very heavily in fitness tech and treadmills and things like that. So I will go first to my left to Jason Snell. You know, I, uh, I've i been doing um, uh, Couch to 5K, which uh, is, is good. I mean, using tech for a motivator or for a logger, I, I'm also a big believer in in that life logging, that whole phenomenon. I, I love the idea of, of having kind of bars and, and graphs about things that are going on in your life uh, that you might not otherwise notice. And I think that there's a, a, a great feedback effect there. So I'm really excited about this trend. I actually saw your posts about that, the Fitbit and I got myself a Fitbit, which is sitting right next to me now. And I'm going to take it out of the box and, and then I will beat the Tamagotchi too. Uh, and, and also social networking and working that in where you've got um, your friends and you're competing. I see Lex talk all the time about how he's competing with everybody for the number of steps that that they're taking. And that's great because I, I know studies have shown that the environment you're in, your social environment, if you've got people who are heavier and eat a lot, you are heavier and eat a lot. And if you've got people who exercise a lot, you exercise more because that you're with your your friends. So using technology to do that. I think that's a great idea. The only complaint I would give is, you know, all these smartphones like my iPhone, they have all of these sensors in there and yet it's not built into the operating system to do things like be a pedometer. You have to have an app and have the app open in order to do it. And I would really like to see uh, iOS uh, have built-in fitness functions so that uh, it can be its own sensor. Because I, I, my iPhone is already my Fitbit in many ways and yet it doesn't work like that. Lex, what do you think? You're the guy who's treadmilling all day. Right. Well, I'm not treadmilling right now, and I can see that I've just slipped 10,000 steps behind second place on my Fitbit ranking, and that's uh, I apologize. That's very is, that, is that unacceptable? It is. Well, so the thing is, it's been very good to me. The Fitbit specifically has been very good to me because it got me treading at my treadmill desk faster than I had been, and I sit down far less. I don't, I don't take a break as often as I used to because I know that Mary and Patrick are going to get way too far ahead of me. I hate being in third place. Um, the thing, you know, I had thought for a long time, I've even written on Macworld, as Jason uh, was just alluding to, about this notion that the iPhone should be the tracker. I'm less convinced that that's the case than I once was because, A, I don't want to see the battery 
battery life on my iPhone suffer more than it already does from all the other things it's doing? And B, you know, my wife keeps her iPhone in her purse. And, uh, you know, what's <laughs> how useful is the tracking going to be when it's not on somebody's person? And is it going to say that she's lazy when she's not? That purse but, is in uh, great shape, by the way. To me, <laughs> and Dan, don't worry, I'm going to give you a lot of time. But uh, to me, the big thing is, you know, if Apple does get into smartwatchery or whatever else, uh, there's no reason that I need to wear a smartwatch and a Fitbit. I mean, there is a reason today, but there shouldn't be. So I, what I'm excited is the technology is in its infancy. At some point, all these things are going to converge in one device that's going to pair beautifully with my phone. And I, I'm excited about that. How about you, Dan? Yeah, Dan. I think too much information is a bad thing, and I don't want to know that I'm terribly, <laughs> terribly unfit. So I'm going to go with fitness trackers bad. Well, no, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't have one. I, I, I know a lot of people, obviously, who have Fitbit, including, it seems like, the everybody rest of you here. who are mindless. It's just like that episode of Star Trek, the game, <laughs> the game, where everybody gets, like, really into this, and it turns out it's actually just, like, a like thing controlling your mind. Hey, Ashley um, Judd is in that episode. That's a great episode. In, Shut indeed, up. Uh, great. I love that episode. So, I, I think that, you know, I, I, yeah, okay, I've expressed interest. I think Lex might lend me one of his multitude of, of fitness trackers at some point. Maybe I'll try it out and see if it really helps me get more active in my daily life, but, you know. I, I do stuff. I, I walk around a lot. I try to, but it's, it is tough being stuck at home in your office, glued to your computer, literally, literally glued to your computer. So <laughs> I super I glue think, or more of an Elmer's glue? Well, it was kind of an accident. So yeah, there you go. Great. That was really interesting from everybody. Uh, I do have to say to close it up, um, the one thing that I have been using before I got my Fitbit was I was using an app called Moves, uh, which kills your battery life a little bit. Uh, but we used it all throughout when we were on our trip to Italy. And I found, I, th- I mean, I was the one holding the Moves tracker or the, the iPhone with Moves installed. So maybe it was influencing just me. Uh, but I really found that looking at moves being like, oh, we've walked 15 kilometers for the day. We should walk to our restaurant instead of take a taxi and then we'll get like that 20 kilometers out or something like something crazy like that. So um, that's a moves is a nice sort of like intro app to get addicted to if you're not Quick, quite ready to make the planche. Run around in a circle so we can get to 20,000 Run, steps. Don't <laughs> walk to the app store. I, there have definitely been times in my home when I'm at 29,000 steps when I'm going to bed and I'm like, Lauren, it's time for us to pace the bedroom for a little while because <laughs> you got to tick it over. That keeps your, that keeps your marriage fresh. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. That's a trick. I think it's my turn now. It is. What do so, you have to say, Jason? Yeah, I have very little to say. No, uh, I want to talk about uh, actually a story that was posted on uh, on Friday, June 7th on TechHive by John Seff, uh, where he basically said that he's he's all in on Sonos, which is this digital music uh, system. It's not cheap, although it's cheaper than it used to be. And I actually have uh, an all-home digital music system of my own where I've got uh, a, a few uh, Logitech squeeze boxes. Sadly, a product that's no longer made, no longer supported, um, and I'm going to ride them out as long as I can because it will be expensive to replace them all with something else. Um, and it works by I've got a I've got a Mac Mini behind my TV. It's got all my music on it. Uh, it it's running the Logitech server, and then I've got these uh, these little boxes throughout my house that I can control from the box. There are on-screen controls or via an app. Um, and I can actually synchronize them all so they're playing the same music at exactly the same time. So you walk from room to room and the same music is playing. It's great for for parties. If you have somebody over to the house, like we did a couple weeks ago, I made a playlist. And as you went outside, the music was still playing. And it, it's a lot of fun. And you know that's my setup now. Obviously, it's now been deprecated. John has gone to Sonos. Same kind of idea. You've got uh, networked players all around your house. And I'm just curious for you guys... 
what do you do other than being plugged into an iPhone or a, or a Mac with with a set of headphones? How do you listen to music, sort of like uh, in your in your place of of residence, if you do? And what 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 systems are you using? And and uh, are there things you wish that it did that it doesn't? And uh, I'm going to go first to the guy with the largest house, Lex. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I will say I never listen to music on headphones at home. Um, I have the. Th- I used to listen to music on my Macs and be okay with that. Um, I can't do that anymore. I have a, a speaker that my MacBook Pro is plugged into when I'm at my desk, and then my because I review so many of them for MacWorld and TechHive, my office is kind of full of Bluetooth and AirPlay speakers, and so my home is full of Bluetooth and AirPlay speakers while they're being reviewed. Uh, I don't get the appeal of the Sonos. I read John's article and I still don't get the appeal of the Sonos. I've spoken to Chris Breen and I still don't get it. <laughs> I like uh, AirPlay. I like the fact that I have all these speakers that all speak the same language. I can get diff- ones at different price points that, uh, you know, one that makes sense to put in my kid's room and one that makes sense to put in the basement, one that makes sense to have out by the pool. It is a big house. Anyway, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've been very happy with AirPlay. Uh, it's, it beats the range and the audio quality of Bluetooth by almost literally miles and but not and um i don't know it <laughs> so works close. great for me you know, you i'm an airplay guy now you can't do um the whole home thing where you walk from room to room and different music and the same music is playing right you, they, you can if you if you start it from itunes you can pick uh, multiple if you start it from itunes and send right. it all there yeah i bet one day ios will be able to handle that too but hmm. if, I, if i'm having a multi-music party i go to the mac dan uh, I have a much smaller house than Lex. Than Lex, yes. <laughs> uh, so honestly, if I just, I have a, a, a multi-room solution that I call turning up the volume really, really loud <laughs> and then I can hear it in the entire house. Uh, no, and there are a couple places. Um, so I, I use a variety of stuff. It depends where I am. Uh, I have a small Bluetooth speaker, uh, the, the big blue from, uh, which I'm going to those guys, Brooke stone them yeah uh, i use that sometimes if i'm if i'm going around to a room like if i'm in the kitchen watching dishes or something I'll, I'll pipe either the radio or music over that from my ipad um or sometimes if i'm watching netflix and while i'm like folding laundry um i'll use that um but if i'm in my living room or my office i'm generally either playing music off my mac or off the apple tv slash mac mini hooked up to my tv um I'll use headphones sometimes around the house just because it's easier um, than than turning on the Bluetooth speakers and like waiting for it to pair and all that. And I'm lazy. Uh, and plus, I can actually control it like while I'm washing dishes a little bit um, using like a little click around my headphone. So I'll, I'll do that. But I don't know. I'm, I, I haven't yet hit the point where I need a multi-room system. And I think a combination of AirPlay and the Bluetooth speaker and headphones and just speakers hooked up to my various devices seems to work fine for me. So, Ren, you have a smaller house than I do. <laughs> I do. My house is a studio, in fact. And also, I am poor, so I can't afford any fancy systems. All of my all of my audio systems are from the mighty house of Hand Me Down by Dan Frakes. Um, oh, nice. So, I, so you have I like have an 8-track a- a- tape? Is yeah, you bet. Wax cylinder? Just <laughs> slowly yeah, live string quartet. It just sits in the corner and plays. Nice. Yeah, my apartment's not that big. So I have um, a set of speakers plugged into an Airport Express, which turns it into an AirPlay hub, uh, which is across the room from my bed and my sort of living area. And I have that airport, uh, that AirPlay station turned on, and then I have my phone by my bed. So when I wake up in the morning, I instantly turn on AirPlay music, and then ah, oh, there's music throughout the house, and it encourages me to get up and go about my business. The one thing I'm missing is a speaker for my bathroom, where it's like I really want like a tiny, either a little tiny Bluetooth speaker or a tiny AirPlay device to hang out in my bathroom so I can actually listen. 
That's that's good. I I, I like uh, this was great uh, to have this uh, these different perspectives. I think it's it does depend on whether you've got an enormous house like Lex or a very small place like the rest of us, and uh, or one room like Ren. <laughs> uh, I have an Airport Express attached to the line in port on my Logitech uh, Squeezebox Boom in my kitchen, and uh, uh, my wife and I both use that a lot too. Um, so I think AirPlay the the convenience of AirPlay is really great. The the issue there is just if you if you're not in an all Apple. Uh, uh, all Apple tech setup, it's a little bit harder. So that's the uh, that that's the one the one trick there. It's an interesting problem though with digital music, you know. But it's a great it's great that you have this ability to kind of control your music remotely, whether it's by AirPlay or some other means. So that's my topic. Thanks for thanks for being a part of it. And uh, now it's time for Lex and whatever he is going to lay on us. Lex, what do you have? I want to talk about the latest government scandal. Well, so, well, at least as of the time we're recording this, there'll be a new one tomorrow. <laughs> there will be more. Uh, Prism. So uh, the the leaks that The Guardian first reported say that uh, the NSA is tapped into all the largest internet companies, your Googles, your Facebooks, your Apples, your Microsofts, and can look at pretty much everything you do online if you go through those services. Uh, all the tech companies say, no, that's we don't do that. We've never even heard of Prism. Uh, so I guess my questions are, are the denials honest stupidity? They don't know that it's happening? Are the denials picky and legalese and saying, well, uh, we don't do it the way that they're saying or reporting that we do it. And then the the even more important question, I guess, is, is it too late? Like they said, they started this back in 2007. Is you know we're mad about it. People in America are frustrated and upset that this is happening. But is it too late to expect anything possibly to change? Even if they tell us, okay, we'll stop doing it. Are we going to believe them? And and so that's that's what I'm curious about. So I'm going to turn to I believe my very first of the two co-hosts, Dan Morin. Is that right? That's right, that's me. Lex. That's, hey, he's right over there. Uh, hi, Dan. Hi, Lex. You know the. While this is disturbing, and I and I think rightfully so, um, it's nothing new. And and I, I I am always a little bit eyebrow raising when this the shock comes in about this. Like, oh, I can't believe the government is surveilling people. Like, yeah, I mean, like, haven't you seen every movie produced over the last thirty <laughs> years? Or I I remember years ago when uh, there was a a whole bunch of uproar about a system called Echelon, which basically does something very, very similar. But I mean, I think the key differentiation here is that there's some question as to, you know, in this case, they're they're keeping an eye on Americans with ostensibly the reason of, oh, we're trying to like gather information on foreign, you know, operations, terrorist operations, that kind of thing. Um, But they're not necessarily being shy about saying we're talking to American companies and that therefore there may be information by Americans that's getting caught up in this. Uh, As for the companies themselves, um, I'm going to go with the option that they're being sort of picky about details because I, I think that you know, based on this information, I think that there is probably uh, something happening in terms of the government. I mean, certainly the government comes to companies like this and says, hey, we're, we're concerned about X, Y, Z. Can you give us these records? And I'm guessing in 90% of the cases that they say yes. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm not shocked by it. It's definitely something that it, I'm glad it's out in the open now. And it's the transparency and secrecy parts of it that, that bother me the most. But I'm not surprised. So I'll turn to uh, Serenity Caldwell for her response. Yes. So like Dan, I'm not particularly surprised that this was announced or that this is happening. Uh, Part of me thinks, well, I mean, for things like Twitter, there's there's quite a lot that we put out on the Internet that we know subconsciously is public. 
Um, but we don't actually when when people are actually like, oh yes, we're we're taking this information. You react with outrage, and you're like, hey, that's my information that I put out publicly on the web. And obviously, there's also stuff about Prism that's not necessarily as public, like your email or your direct messages. Um, but it still goes under the sort of that basic assumption where if you're using a web service, you may not be a hundred percent secure because you're going through a third party. Um, we trust the U.S. mail system because it's been there forever. But how many times has the government opened other people's mail in the interest of you know national security and things like that? It's a next step to that sort of thing. Uh, in terms of the companies, I agree with Dan. I really think that it made – I don't think any of the companies knew what PRISM meant because I think PRISM was a code word used solely by the NSA and the national government. Um, and I imagine – Largely what Prism, what the NSA and Prism is boasting about are information requests and takedowns and things like that that they're sending to the technology companies. And it's just phrased. I don't think there's any sort of secret backdoor. I just think that they had agreements worked out between all of the companies for regular old, you know, oh, we need this information. And that's what it's being portrayed as. Jason, how about you? Don't believe anything she says. She's a Canadian spy. (laughs) (laughs) They're not supposed to know that. Well, now they know because they listen to everything. I, you know, the secrecy is the part that bothers me the most. I actually, you know, figures that I will take kind of a middle a middle point here. Uh, is there some law enforcement need for this stuff? I'm sure there is. My problems are blanket uh, blanket warrants that say just sure sift through everything everybody does. Uh, that's a problem. Um, the fact that this is a secret court, the fact that even the senators who were opposed to it uh, couldn't say other than like like wink, wink that they were opposed to it because it's all supposed to be in secret. That's the problem because it, we, we live in a democracy and people need to be informed. And I know that the, the, the problem is that the people who are in favor of this, a lot of them in the government will say, well, we can't tell you what we're doing, but trust us. And the fact is that that open information has to be part of it. There isn't a lot of trust right now. So that's what I'd put my finger on. Lex, back to you. Well, I, I, I have to, I, I agree with everybody. I think that the thing that's, uh, <laughs> I'm troubled because, uh, there's no way to have access to all that information and not abuse it. It's impossible. I think it is truly, literally impossible to have access to that information and not abuse it in ways that will come out years later and make everybody mad. And that's that's yep. my t- primary concern. Well, thank you for, for, for voicing all your opinions on all these various topics. We, we've expended our time as per our, our brought with us topics. But Jason, I believe we have, we're not quite done yet. We're not quite done. So this is something that I like to call extra time. Uh, where we have a bonus topic uh, for one person to get off something off their chest, um, but we're going to judge this, and we want to we want to make sure it's a good topic. Lex, if we if we pick you, what are you going to choose? Uh, I want to complain about series finales. Okay, Dan, what do you have? Uh, I want to complain about uh, Microsoft's sharing rules. All right, Ren, do you have something? I do. I want to complain about how BlackBerry can't really make great phones, but they're making some great art with the Keep Moving initiative. Interesting. And I wanted to talk about peanut butter. So what should we, what should we talk about? What do you think, Dan? Uh, I, I vote for Ren's art piece. I see, I was going to go for Lex. Uh-oh. And they can't, and they, all right. Well, I'll go with Ren. Ren, why don't you talk about, about that? Sorry, Lex. Okay. Um, well, I had the fortunate... Uh, enjoyment of being able to go to BlackBerry's unveiling of their newest uh, project, their art project, and the Keep Moving uh, initiative that they're doing, which is 
combining famous people who do cool things with art with uh tweets and people who draw and uh, people who make movies and releasing them on their website for free. And the entertainment initiative or the, the event that I went to was with Neil Gaiman on the Calendar of Tales, which some people may have seen. And it was really like I was really blown away by the contributions from people all over the world. And I just it it strikes me. I'm like Blackberry is doing some really cool things with artists and with bringing people together. And I don't understand why they can't take all of the stuff that they've been learning about the world and social media and put it into their devices to make their devices actually, you know, functional to people who want to communicate with everyone. Maybe Blackberry should get out of the phone business and become a museum. <laughs> the Museum of Blackberry. Some of them would some people would argue their devices belong in a museum. Oh zing. Oh. Hey oh. All right. Sorry about the season finales, uh, Lex. No problem. Next time. If there is a next time for <laughs> you. <laughs> this has been the series finale. <laughs> I don't like how it ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, and we have been watching the clock, and that is literally all the time we have. When we finish, that's the end of the show. So thank you for being here, Lex Friedman. It was great to have you. My pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And Serenity Caldwell, thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me talk. You know, implied there by Lex was that it's a pleasure to talk to me, but not to you, Dan. I understand that, and I, I know exactly what he meant. All right. I'll be watching. I'll be watching. You, you introduced him by saying we know him and we love him. I was going to say, well, we know I him. I dispute that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so until next time, if there is a next time, as I said, from all of us here at the Experimental Clockwise Podcast, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.